In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Lightspeed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. On this episode of Notably Disney, my nasty cold persists, but that does not stop me from talking with a pair of brothers, two talented individuals who attended D23 Expo. Matt Grinke is a musician who leads a Disney-themed band called The Happiest Big Band on Earth, and his brother Joel Grinke handles technology integration and visual design for live events. I had the pleasure of meeting Joel at D23 Expo and then connecting with each of them following the event to talk about the people they met and the program they attended. So first up, a conversation with Matt Grinke. All right, welcome back to Notably Disney. I am now joined by Matt Grinke, who also attended D23 Expo 2019. He's a musician, uh, has a band called The Happiest Big Band on Earth, and he's going to talk about uh, his music passion and also his Expo experiences. So welcome to Notably Disney, Matt. Hello, thanks for having me. Could you first talk a little bit about your passion for music and how you've channeled that? Uh, into your career, because I know our listeners would be interested in checking out your work. Yes, of course. Um, I've been studying music for almost 21 years now. Um, And the happiest big band on earth started with a third year university assignment. Um, I went to Caplano University for jazz studies, and our assignment was to arrange any piece we wanted for a 17-piece big band format. Um, And at that point in jazz school, I was pretty fed up with jazz. So I said, I'm not going to do any jazz standards. I'm going to do a Disney song. So I chose Friend Like Me for my assignment. And the the student musician site read it so flawlessly and it sounded so amazing that I kind of thought, why not build a whole band around just Disney big band arrangements? So when I graduated from Capilano University, I held auditions for this band. I started writing 
a whole bunch of arrangements for it. We have about 20 arrangements now, about almost two years later. Yeah, the band's been around for about a year and a half now. Um, and so that's kind of how it all started with a university assignment. Now it's in my big band, the happiest big band on earth. So can you share with folks some of the songs that you all p- perform renditions to? Because I, I saw from the website and the videos that it seems like it's quite quite an eclectic uh, arrangement. Uh, yeah, so the first, well, the very first arra- arrangement was Friend Like Me, because that was the assignment. Um, and then one of my favorite Disney movies is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. So the second arrangement I did was a very up-tempo version of Hellfire, um, which works way better than people would think, since it's this big dramatic piece. But as a super quick swing and big band arrangement, it really works. Um, and then I started to pull from Disney songs that were already kind of in the jazz style. So I I went towards Monsters, Inc. and I arranged the Monsters, Inc. theme. I think that was the third one we did. Um, I arranged the the chase scene from Emperor's New Groove, where Yzma and Kronk are chasing Cusco and Pacha. Uh, I think the track is called Run Lama Run. So that was our fourth arrangement. Um, and then people started asking, oh, are, have you done any any of the recent movies? Because a lot of these were from kind of the 90s and early 2000s. So then I did an arrangement of You're Welcome from Moana. Um, and I started going back and doing some older arrangements like Cruella de Vil. And it's just kind of gone on and on from there as people suggest, hey, why don't you try try this Disney song? And I play around with it on the piano to see... Uh, might work and I kind of pick and pull from the ones that really stick in my mind a couple days later and that's how I choose which pieces to arrange for the band that's awesome well and the the particular track you mentioned from Emperor's New Groove is fantastic because it's a fun upbeat jazz and rarely does it get much attention but it sounds like you've allowed it to gain some exposure well, that's what I like so much about this band is it's for it's for very casual Disney fans. Like it has a lot of the very famous songs, but also the really hardcore Disney fans will find stuff in the performances that they can recognize and appreciate. And, Cause I'm a, I'm a big time Disney fan and I'm always thinking, well, what if I went to the show? What would I like to hear? What might surprise me if I hear? You're definitely in the company of Disney fans because you also recently attended D23 Expo what have been your previous experiences or connections to D23 been like? Um, the first time I went was in 2017. Um, and my brother had been to the two previous D23s before that. He's also a big Disney fan. So in 2017, he said, why don't you come with me this year? It's a, it's, I said, okay. And of course, the first time you go to D23, it's completely overwhelming. It's 100% not... Well, it is what you're expecting it to be, but it's above and beyond. Um, so the first year I went, I had the opportunity to meet Michael Giacchino at one of the signings, and he signed my arrangement of Married Life from Up. Um, and that kind of hooked me on D23. It's like, well, if I can if I can have these kind of experiences the first time around, and it's completely overwhelming and I have no idea what I'm doing, 
what would happen if I went back the next time with some idea of what the expo's like. I have more of an idea of the crowds, how early I have to get in line. And so I kind of planned my 2019 D23 trip around, based more around the music panels and how I would have to plan to get in line early for those and who who I would want to meet. Well, let's dive right into it. Could you talk about the musicians and musical talent that got to meet at the 23 expo oh what a trip it was um well as soon as the schedule came out i saw randy newman was doing a signing and i said that is my number one priority for the whole expo so day one because i knew you had to buy um the record or the cd for your pass to meet randy newman on day three so i went there in the afternoon of day one and that's when i found out they were only letting out about 150 passes a day to meet randy newman so day two i woke up at five o'clock got in line beelined it for the show floor at 9 a.m and bought my randy newman ticket so so that was that was the highlight of my expo but i also got to go to the guardians or no not guardians um uh star wars galaxy's edge i went to the the sounds and music of galaxy's edge panel and i think it was the head of music for imagineering and the head sound designer for galaxy's edge were talking about working with john williams on this new land and how to design all the sounds from it like there was a wookie playing a drum kit in one of the upstairs upstairs buildings of Black Spire Outpost. And these are things you wouldn't really realize unless you went to the panels. Um, and then later that day, the people that were doing the Galaxy's Edge talk were doing a signing, and there was nobody in line to meet them. Like, it was, it was baffling. There was not a single person in line to meet them. So I got to hang out and chat with them for about 15 minutes because there was nobody behind me. And we talked about sound design, talked about arrangements and working with John Williams. And it was just the most amazing, intimate, unexpected experience with these three gurus of music in the Disney world. Wow, that's that's so shocking that yeah. there was nobody else there who wanted to chat with them. It was I was the only person there. And then the, the bizarre part is during our conversation, Tyler Bates just walks up. And says, "Hey guys, I'm heading out for the day." And Tyler Bates, the the composer for the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, I recognized him instantly because because he's one of my musical heroes. And I said, "You're Tyler Bates, aren't you?" And he said, "Yes, of course I am." So so in that little 15 minute stint, I was talking with head music Imagineers. I was talking with a big Hollywood composer. And it was all just kind of overwhelming. I left I left that little conversation just shaking and my eyes were watering because I couldn't believe what had just happened. Wow. Wow. Only at the 23 Expo. What was the most unique or special tidbit you gleaned from them during that conversation? Oh, my goodness. Um, it was really that just, that just it is possible to have a career where you can just show up to work and make silly noises and have millions of people enjoy them 
every year. Like that was kind of an eye opener is okay, there are people out there who do what I enjoy doing at such a high professional level and it's something that's a realistic goal that I can achieve now. So that was kind of an eye opening moment. Awesome. Yeah. And what what about at the the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Music and Sounds panel? Because uh, I was there too, and there was a lot of interesting, I guess, expressions of of music and and how they manipulate it to uh, evoke this really unique environment. What what stood out to you from that panel? I do almost all of my sound design and arranging work through through Mainstage and Logic Pro X, and. One of my favorite parts of the panel is when this person just came out with their laptop and said, look at these sound cues I've been working on. And they pressed play. And it was like, even if you weren't at the panel or had no indication of where you were, no comment to say, oh, that's that's Star Wars. That just sounds like Star Wars. Um, And I got to talk with that specific person afterwards and saying, so, like, if... If I have the idea, like, I need the sound of a spaceship, where do I even start? Like, I just want a spaceship. Where do I go? And what was amazing is he said, well, we just went to Lucasfilm, and they have this whole database of sounds. But to make them original, you can pull pull little snippets from already existing sounds and alter them and shift them to make them your own unique Spin, and he talked a little bit about that during the Galaxy's Edge panel. Let's shift gears a little bit to some of the other talent that you met at the expo. Um, I understand you met uh, Anthony Gonzalez, who's Miguel from Coco, and then Ali Cravalho, who's Moana. I did, yes. Um, Yeah, Anthony Gonzalez was because he had a whole scheduled signing with the same thing as Randy Newman, I think, where you had to buy the record to to get a spot to meet him. But it was so bizarre. I was just walking down the show floor in the middle of the day, and there's Anthony Gonzalez just walking right beside me with his two his his two bodyguards. Um and the same thing happened to me with Michael Giacchino two years ago, but after I'd met him, he was just walking along the show floor with his bodyguards. But with Anthony Gonzalez, I said, well, I'm going to give it a shot this year, because why not? So I just started walking beside him, and I said, are you Anthony Gonzalez? He said, yes, yes, I am. I said, you're the voice of Miguel from Coco. He said, yes, yes, I was. And so I just confirmed with him, because his guards were around. I said, is it okay if we just walk and talk? Like, is, is this something we're allowed to do? said yeah of course so i talked to him about him just recording coco and about being a part of the music of a pixar movie and he signed he signed my little music book and he recorded a video with me of both of us saying i'm a musician and so it was just a completely by chance meeting with anthony gonzalez so that's how that one went Oh, that's so awesome. And he yeah. seems, seems very amiable from all the videos and oh, uh, he, imagery online. He was the nicest guy. And he, the, the, the nice thing was is he completely realizes how, how lucky he is to be the voice of a Pixar character, like the lead, the lead role in a Pixar movie. And it's nice 
to kind of just be, yeah, just to be with another person. Like like all these all these famous voices, they're still humans, and we can still connect with each other. And it's just it's very cool being around somebody who realizes that they are very fortunate and lucky to be in a place where they are. Like, of course, they're all very talented and they got there for good reason. But, right. yeah. Oh, and then similarly, Ali Cravalho seems to uh, totally personify Moana in terms of her graciousness and pureness to her that's just so welcoming. Oh, completely. And that was that was a funny one, too, because I, I got my Randy Newman ticket on the Saturday. He was signing on the Sunday. But I knew Ali Cravalho was signing on the Saturday as well. So when I was buying my Randy Newman ticket, I just said, are there, are, does there happen to be any tickets left for Moana? They said, yep, there's a left. So it was just kind of on a whim that I got a ticket to meet. And um, that, that, one was, that one was kind of interesting because I had, I had a few questions lined up for her, like, like how many takes did how far I'll go take? Um, how was working with Lin Manuel Miranda? Was he your music director? And but when I actually got up to meet her, it was very much like like she was very nice, but it was all kind of a machine. Like the the people the people took my record to give it to her, and they took my camera to take a picture as I was meeting her. But almost immediately, it was, okay, thank you for coming, thank you, bye, thank you for coming, bye-bye. So I, I didn't really get much time to, to speak with her, to, to kind of interact. It was very much a meet and greet and bye-bye. But mm-hmm. for the couple seconds I got with her, she seemed very nice, and she gave me a big hug and a smile. And, but so that was a kind of a weird meet and greet. It was very kind of mechanical and programmed. Yeah, it's, it sounds like some of the meet and greets were more systematic depending on uh, yeah. number of individuals who are there or scheduling or other factors too. Because I, I, I got that sense from others as well that wasn't necessarily the performer, but just how things were, were lining up. Yeah, but I, and they did say nobody was allowed to sign any personal items, but I snuck my little corral book i'd written a little four-part corral on how far i'll go and i said i know you're not supposed to sign personal items but but and and i just showed her and she said oh that's so cool and of course she signed it for me so that that was very nice of her cool well it sounds like for you the the big gut was to to meet randy newman so what was that experience like unbelievable so I, I've done an arrangement of Almost There from Princess and the Frog for The Happiest Being Bad on Earth. And as soon as I knew that meeting Randy Newman was even a consideration at the expo, I had my Almost There arrangement packed in my bag and said, just, just in case, just in case he's able to sign things, I'll bring it with me. Um, and so... So I got in line at about 10 o'clock for the 11 o'clock signing. Because that was my mistake for Moana. I got in line at, at 1 for the 1 o'clock signing. And that was about an hour and a half wait. That was ridiculous. But Randy Newman, I only had to wait about half an hour. Um, so, so I'm approaching the front of the line. And I kind of 
tuck my arrangement under my armpit so that none of the none of the camera people or the record takers could kind of see my arrangement because I asked them in line just Randy's not allowed to sign personal items right he said no he's not I said okay okay that's fine that's fine but I stuck it under my armpit anyways and I went up to meet him I said you're one of my musical heroes and um and I'm a I'm an arranger and I'm a musician too and I pulled out my arrangement of almost there and it was it was kind of surreal because when I'm waiting in line I'm watching Randy Newman the whole time and he's just just shaking people's hands and signing their records but when he saw my arrangement of almost there his eyes just like opened up it was the most surreal and bizarre thing and he actually flipped through the arrangement and looked at it and we we actually chatted about music and arranging for about two and a half minutes and it seemed most people got about 20 or 30 seconds with him so i actually had a one-on-one solid conversation with randy newman about music i'm like even choking up just talking about it because it was it was the most surreal thing you could even imagine so he said yeah of course i can sign this this is this is good work and he said don't double the thirds so that was his one piece of arranging advice for me i'll never forget randy newman waggling his finger at me and saying don't double the thirds what a what a special moment it was yeah and i fully walked away from that and just just like burst into weeping and i was just shaking i all i could do was just stare at my arrangement it was it was wild. Holy cow, wow. Yeah. Talking a little bit more about Randy Newman, do you have a favorite song or score of his? Um, I'm a very big fan of his Toy Story 1 score. His Toy Story 1 score and his Monsters, Inc. score partic- particularly. Um, just, like, I, I still haven't quite been able to figure out the whimsy in Randy Newman's music and how how he gets that kind of playful, whimsical sound. Like, like I know the, the chord progressions of all of his songs, and I've analyzed a lot of them and figured them out how to play them. But it's in the arrangements, how you listen to it, and you say, that's, that's a Randy Newman song, and not like, oh, that's a Michael Giacchino score, or that's a Tyler Bates score. It's very clearly the sound of Randy Newman. Yeah. Um, and and the Toy Story one score kind of embodies the sound of Randy Newman the most for me. And what I liked about Toy Story four coming out earlier this year, and he still uses his old like the toys sneaking around theme from Toy Story one, and the same like oh something exciting happened theme from Toy Story one, but also coming up with all the new themes and shifting the old themes so that they fit into this newer generation. Yeah, yeah. I'd, ha- I'd have to agree with you for Disney work, at least. I, I'm probably, I most appreciate the original Toy Story and also Monsters, Inc. Yeah. Um, but I love some of his work, uh, instrumental work for Princess and the Frog. Oh, uh, yeah. It's just oh, it's so cool. lush. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I guess uh, shifting over to another person who I understand you met bill rogers who's the voice of disneyland <laughs> yes i did meet bill rogers can you talk about that experience because for the past several expos he's been recording people's voicemail messages yeah yeah so so when i first started the happiest big band on earth i wanted it to be like 
like like a show you would see in the Disney park. So I wanted to have like the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, in just 15 minutes, the happiest big band on earth will take the stage. So kind of from from the start of me forming the band, I wanted that sort of extra Disney magic to it. And about a year ago, I sent Bill Rogers an email just, oh, he probably won't get back to me, but I'll ask if he would record the the pre-show speech for the band. But of course, he didn't reply, and I was 100% expecting that. So he was also on my high-priority list for this expo. And it was almost just kind of by mistake, because I sat, I sat on the piece of tape near center stage at D23 at about 4 o'clock just to catch my breath. When you're walking around all day at this expo, your feet die. So I just found a spot to sit and hang out. But it happened to be the start of the line for, for the meet and greet with Bill Rogers. So I ended up being first in line, and people just kind of started sitting behind me and behind me and behind me. I said, guess, guess I'm first in line to meet Bill Rogers. So, so 5.15 rolls around, and there he is. We all stand up. I'm first in line. Go and meet him. And you had to fill out a little piece of paper before you met him with your name. And I think your favorite, your favorite part about Disney, I, I forget how it was worded, but your favorite, your favorite thing about Disney um, so I said my name was Matt Grinke and the happiest big band on earth. And he asked me, oh, what's this? I said, it's it's my Disney big band. It's We play arrangements of Disney songs. And he recorded the most perfect voicemail message for me. It's It was something along the lines of, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, he reached Matt Grinke's cell phone, and he's off leading the happiest big band on earth right now, and he's all busy with that. And it was a very similar moment to after meeting Randy Newman when he said the happiest big band on earth. Every part of me just went, oh, oh my God, he just said that. And he just said the name of my band. And that was another completely surreal thing because it was the voice of Disneyland. Like announcing the name of my band, it was completely surreal. But he was he was very, very nice and very very generous in the time that he gave every person to record their voicemail and it looked like he had a blast doing it too that's that's such a, a special type of experience so yeah. i'm glad you you had that opportunity so that that is my voicemail right now <laughs> <laughs> more, more interesting than most folks voicemails i'm sure very much so so an, another event I know you attended, Matt, was the celebration of Tarzan's 20th anniversary. And oh, yeah. of, of course, that has classic Phil Collins tunes and the very notable Matthew Morrison performed oh, yeah. at that event. Can you talk about that? About the uh, Matthew Morrison performance? And and the event more generally, too. And the event? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so I went with my brother and his fiance and her friend and it was the last panel on the last day and we said that's going to be our big group thing that we go to so my brother has a gold family pass so we all got in line for that and what they seated us at the very front section i think we were about row 10 in that front middle area um and yeah the the panel like all of us of course beforehand were 
we're chittering, being like, oh, is, is Phil Collins going to be here? Because you never really know who's going to show up at D23. Um, Phil Collins did not show up, but they played they played a very early demo um, from like from the cassette tapes that Phil Collins had recorded on. Because uh, I think Phil Collins was in in Geneva or something at the time when they were starting to record the tracks. So it was it was a digital file of a cassette tape that Phil Collins had sent in in about. 1996 or 97 about three years before tarzan came out and and i'd never heard this track before i think it was previously unreleased up until then um and it was very very interesting to hear his early ideas because it seemed like he had he had the idea of the music perfect right from the get-go it sounded exactly like the score that's in tarzan now so because usually at least for me, it takes a while to develop the sound of a score, or the sound of a show, or of, of a piece of film. But it seemed like Phil Collins had figured it out right off the bat, pretty much. Um, and we also noticed there were instruments set up beforehand. Like there was, there were a couple of saxophones, an upright bass, an electric bass, and drum kit, and so, so of course, we still thought Phil Collins was going to show up, but he never did. Uh, but yeah, it, those were for at the end of the panel when Matthew Morrison showed up, and it was it was a very strange thing because he performed a couple of the songs that the Happiest Big Band on Earth does. They were very much in that jazz style. I think he did "I Want to Be Like You," and uh, the Happiest Big Band does does that song too but it was kind of neat to be on the other side of a jazz disney performance and kind of see oh what, what do i like what can i <laughs> like what can i steal from this and and also things i saying oh that's interesting i would i might do that differently but i'd keep some parts of this and oh i want to steal that and oh no i don't want that so much it was really nice being on the other side of a jazz disney performance that's so neat. Um, but also talking about the Tarzan panel more specifically, <clears throat> um, like like I'm also a big fan of the behind the scenes animation side of things. My friend Ben is an animator, um, so I'm I'm a lot of the time seeing some of the behind the scenes things that go into animating for a movie, and I, I think it was the head of is it, is it some animation head of Tarzan was there, but he was the one that kind of developed the software for. Uh, I forget what the name of it was, like the three D, three D painted backgrounds, but different than multiplane. It was. Is it caps? It, maybe. Okay. It, I think so, but it was it was kind of 3D renderings of digital painted backgrounds, and so they did a whole demonstration of how the animation fit in with the digital, because it was one of the first movies to use that 3D technology and merge uh, hand-drawn animation to that digital background, and it was, 
it was infinitely interesting to see the development of that and see the layers of layering the background and layering the animation, layering the paint all on top of each other, and then fitting that to music and music fitting to that. And it was all just very, very interesting and cool to see and see the people that created it talking about it. That's why I love D23, because it's the people who have actually done it telling about how they did it. Right, right. So I guess reflecting back on your 2019 D23 Expo experience, yes. uh, what what represented <laughs> the highlight, the the aspect that you were perhaps a little disappointed by, and what you think could be improved moving forward? Um, a high, well, of course, a highlight was Randy Newman. That was the top of the whole expo. I don't even know if any expo further on could top that experience, unless they got uh like alan mank or something to do a meet and greet but we'll see we'll see um so randy newman was a highlight for me um it was also nice to see how they'd improved the the, the like the lineup system from 2017 it seemed a lot more organized this year and it was interesting to see even how it improved from Friday to Saturday to Sunday. Like, lineup-wise, Sunday was the smoothest day of them all. Um, something that... What, what would have disappointed me at D23? Because I, I always go with the, the spin on looking for music panels or looking for music people, but there was, there was so much of that like there was the music of aladdin over 30 years and there was the meet and greets with all the composers so and it, it was all spread out so that you never really missed any music panel like n nothing kind of overlapped with anything else um I, I don't even think i disliked anything about this d20 it the only the only thing that went kind of sour for me is I went in the stand-up line for the Legends panel, and I waited there all morning from, from 5 a.m. to when they started letting us in. And apparently it was already full about two hours before the panel opened, but, but they just didn't tell us that, and they kind of turned us away as the panel was starting, which was too bad. But still, a lot more organized than 2017. Gotcha. So what would you like to see most in a future iteration of the Expo, and whether it be in terms of programming or how it operates? Hmm. I mean, I, I would just like a whole Expo on Disney music, but that's probably just me. No, uh, it's not just you. It's me too. Oh, good. <laughs> so, yeah, if they maybe... This is like far into the future of D23, but if they had like a whole building of animation panels or a whole building of music panels or a whole building of Imagineering panels or whole, like, because from what I understand, the parks panel was so jam-packed that they only had about five, five or ten minutes to touch on each thing. But I'm sure they could have done a whole panel in itself about just the new Mary Poppins area coming out at Epcot or 
like that that's just a little example but if it were my dream d23 i'd like to see a whole a whole weekend of just music panels because i know they could easily fill that up and i know they'd have the interest for it oh yeah well they have the destination d events on the off expo years where they focus on singular topics so why not yeah exactly well thank you for sharing about your expo experiences matt so now we're getting to the point in our interview where i ask my guests some disney related questions oh yes please so so it's a segment called ask them my questions and get some answers and this includes some three standard music related questions two standard book related questions and a random disney question so matt are you ready uh as ready as i can be i suppose okay so the first music question for you and i'm sure you have an answer uh what disney soundtrack did you most or let me rephrase that what disney soundtrack did you listen to most while growing up while growing up probably hercules i know like Growing up, and I, I still do, I know every word to that movie, and I had the CD of it. I think I I think I even had the cassette tape from when my brother was growing up. So I ran that one out, and then I bought the CD. So I'd probably say Hercules. Fantastic. Hmm. What, what Disney song most recently got stuck in your head? Oh my goodness. Most recently, like in the past year or a couple of years? Um, most recently in terms of that you just couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, you, you were hearing it. Maybe it came from the expo or even something this past week. Uh, I, oh, yeah, it was, it was a big favorite of mine for a long time, but the D23 expo kind of re-reminded me of it's a great big beautiful tomorrow from carousel of progress by the sherman brothers and now that's been stuck in my head over and over i've listened to the track just driving around for the last few days on repeat just reminded of what a great track it is it's their it's their other small world i like to call it oh yeah it's definitely a gem uh what disney film do you feel has the most underrated music Punchback of Notre Dame, 100%. You are not the first to say that, and you will not be the last. Oh, yes. And have you listened to the the new musical? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. I've listened to that on repeat for sure. Oh, man. Yeah, they actually had a, um, whatever the the licenses um, version of that musical came to Madison, where I live, about a year ago. And the stage concert was brilliant. Oh, yeah. My brother and I actually almost produced it last October. We had all the perusal scores and the perusal script and everything. But just financially, it wasn't the right time for us to do it. But we almost almost put it on last year. Oh, wow. Wow. Yes. Yeah, I definitely agree with you in terms of that Mm. music not getting the attention it deserves. So. Just that that movie in general. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Being of a certain generation, it was like, yeah, definitely Hunchback was a 
was a highlight. Yeah. So, shift, uh, shifting over to books, what's the most recent Disney book that you've read? Most recent Disney book that I've read? Uh, I'm reading through Moose right now. Um, are you familiar with, with Moose? It's the... I'm not. It's um, It's a book that Robert Sherman wrote before he died. Um, I just picked it up at D23. It was a signed, a signed copy. Um, but it just ta- it talks about his his life work and kind of getting hired by Disney and working with working with his brother in the Walt Disney Studios under Walt Disney. So that's a book I just picked up, and I'm about halfway through it now. Awesome, awesome. Uh, if you could uh, write a book on any topic related to Disney. What would it be about? Um, well, one of my one of my final essays for university was about the what a lot of people call the jazz Disney era from around the fifties to the seventies. So I'd probably write a book about about that era and all the composers and famous artists that worked on those movies, like like pop stars at the time, like. Like Louis Prima and Jungle Book and Peggy Lee and Lady and the Tramp and that would be awesome. I yeah. think there'd be an audience for that. That's probably what I'd write about. Cool. Uh, I'd like to see you write that. <laughs> well, uh, the the essay's available. My my bachelor degree essay. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, foundation to build upon, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. So, final question for you, Matt: What musical artist? Would you like? Would you most like to see record an album featuring renditions of Disney songs? Ooh! Oh, interesting. Like, like a famous artist today recording Disney songs. Yeah, so kind of in the vein of uh, the upcoming Matthew Morrison album, for instance. Right. I I think it'd be really cool to see, like, almost a Bruno Mars like funk, like funk R and B inspired album, like it in that kind of pop funk genre. I think that'd be. Uh, I'd listen to it. Yeah, that would be sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, before I mean, we. It, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's, so, so like I'm, I'm so much of a person that never has the radio on, and so names in pop music these days are not my forte. Um, but like, it, it, it would almost be cool to see see Mumford and Sons do a Disney album. Now, now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, a lot of <laughs> a lot of different options, <laughs> right? That'd yeah. be a, a neat genre to put it in. Yeah, that would definitely be a different direction. Hmm. So, uh, so finally, Matt, uh, how can listeners uh, get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more about your music? Uh, you can go on to www.mattgrinky.com. There's links to the big band up there. Or you can look up the big band on YouTube just with the happiest big band on earth. Um, we just sent in an audition to Disneyland a couple days ago, so maybe you'll be hearing us in the park sometime soon, but I'm not holding my breath. 
Um, yep, mattgrinky.com, YouTube, the happiest big band on earth. We're in process of getting the license to record an album, so that'll be coming out sometime September 2020, most likely. Uh, or you can shoot me an email at mattgrinky at gmail.com if you have any questions. Yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Well, fantastic. Um, Matt, thank you so much for joining me on the show and talking about not only your band, but also your D23 Expo experiences. Of course. It was it was a great expo this year. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks to Matt for the lively discussion. Very jealous that he got to meet Randy Newman, for sure. Uh, alas, there's so much special programming at D23 Expo that one cannot accomplish it all. So I'm glad he had that opportunity. Now let's turn it over to a conversation with Joel Grinke. So we are continuing our D23 Expo 2019 discussion, as there was a lot of amazing content at this sixth D23 Expo iteration. And I am now joined by Joel Grinke, who is a creative technologist based out of Vancouver. I met Joel at the Kevin Rafferty book presentation. Uh, we had a great little chat and uh, thought he'd be a wonderful guest to have on Notably Disney. So welcome to the podcast, Joel. Well, thank you so much. That's so flattering. You met me once and I might be a good guest. Cool. Well, we had a good good conversation and I could tell that you were really enthused about the programming you had seen. We Basically, that was one of the last events on the Sunday evening before the event concluded. But So I'm wondering, Joel, if you could maybe share with listeners what your previous D23 Expo experiences had been prior to the 2019 edition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, this was my fourth D23 that I've been to. And uh, so the first one I went to was in 2013. I've gone to everyone since 2013. And um, and so interestingly, actually, my, my first D23, I went to on a whim, sort of, uh, I decided three weeks before I was going to go that, that I would go, you know, back in the day where, where tickets didn't sell out months beforehand. And, um, and I went because I was like feeling sad. I was, I was kind of bummed out about some stuff that was happening. And so I went to the, I went to D23 and it was this, it, it was like this crazy event that like I had had, I had gone to the park so much and I'm, I find I'm used to like the, the knowing how to work the line system and and get on to stuff quickly and that is not what goes down at D23 and so over the four years it's been really fun to uh, learn how to do D23s but also like add to my little group that comes with me every year and and meet new people so yeah so four years in a row of D23 or four times of D23 I guess every other year. Gotcha and yeah. well we know one of the people who joined you at D23 Expos, your brother, Matt, who we yes. just talked with on the podcast. What uh, what have your experiences been like together in this event? Because I know um, from previous experiences when I would travel with family, it's always fun when it's a shared experience as well. Yeah, yeah it's been great going with Matt. Um, we both have this, we both come at Disney from a different way. And I actually, I always tell people who aren't in the sort of Disney sphere 
uh, they go, where were you on vacation, Joel? And I go, well, I went to D23. And they go, what's D23? And I go, well, it's this crazy, weird mix of people uh, from across the Disney world that is now like Star Wars and Marvel, but also is like the Disney Junior fans and and then mixed in with the animation people, mixed in with the people who are crazy about Imagineering, mixed in with, uh, then mixed in with all like, the the cosplayers that are happening so what's been neat with matt is because he's so musically focused and i'm i'm a i'm a, you mentioned i'm a creative technologist and ultimately i do a lot of work in uh designing museums and themed entertainment and and uh exhibits and things like that and and so i'm very interested in in seeing all of the imagineering work and hearing about the history of imagineering and, and all the design pieces so What's interesting to answer your question about going with Matt is that I'm able to see uh, this world that I enjoy from one angle. I get to see it through his eyes uh, from a different angle. And actually, I know that um, I think he talked to you a bit about the this music of Star Wars uh, of Galaxy's Edge uh, panel. And uh, it was neat because I was able to connect to it uh, from an Imagineering point of view, but he was able to connect to it from a musical point of view and 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 find these deeper connections and these deeper understandings that I didn't even start to didn't even begin to to cross my mind. So yeah, and then and then we've got I, I mentioned that I've got a little crew of people that we go with. So we've got two other people, um, my fiance Stephanie and uh, her friend Joanna, and they come at their fandom from a completely different angle as well. So it's neat to, A, see things from their point of view and and see that there's this whole world that resonates with people in so many different ways. Uh, and then also because I'm kind of the elder statesman of going to the expo with all these folks, it's also fun to like help them, uh, help them learn how to play the game. Uh, Cause there's definitely a level of, uh, playing the game at the expo as there is with anything and uh and that's fun as you get to watch them learn how to play the game and then and then go and meet people like randy newman or or go meet their another favorite artist and and get to have that really neat experience so yeah absolutely well as a as a more of a veteran of d23 expo having gone to the past four now consecutive ones what would what would you say has been the the most noticeable change you've identified in how the event operates or the programming that's offered? Uh, it's definitely it's way bigger. It's it's grown exponentially. Like the fact that it sold out, what was it, a couple months in advance this year, and then uh, was was crazy. Like I remember the first year, it was like kind of a cool thing that on saturday afternoon i think it was if my memory serves this was the 2013 one on saturday afternoon it like started to get around that like that oh it it sounds like it 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 almost sold out on the saturday afternoon and then the other days were fine so that was a neat kind of big uh that's a really interesting big difference that's happened over the last four years um uh i've definitely noticed so the first year that i went there was uh, a lot of, so like I say, I'm a big Imagineering guy and there was a ton of Imagineering talks the first year I went. Uh, that was kind of one of the things that ultimately drove me to, to buy the ticket and go down. Um, and what I find is as the, what's 
this is also pretty neat, is that as the company expands, there is, uh, there's more stuff that has to get fit in. Uh, so I find that maybe the stuff that I'm particularly interested in, there's, there's maybe less of it, uh, which is too bad. That's definitely something that I've, another thing that I've noticed. Um, yeah, that, yeah, those are the, those are the big things I've noticed. It's neat to see that every year that they try something different, there's always like a different thing that's, that's going on a different way of, of, of getting in line. They definitely learn from the years before, uh, definitely keeps improving and as things get bigger it definitely feels bigger and a little bit more crowded but the vibe just keeps getting cooler and cooler the costumes keep getting wilder and wilder indeed yeah, yeah. i i saw that ursula one where oh uh, my gosh well there were multiple ursulas but there was that one where she basically uh expanded her arms and you have basically like a 10 foot wide web of of uh netting or i don't know exactly what material it was but it was incredible so it was so cool i think the one that that stopped me in my tracks was so there was like what was clearly a a jab of the hut luke god uh, um not luke Sky, uh, jab of the hut han solo and leia slave leia costume but then but that didn't look quite right so i had to like stop and look it for a second and it turned out that it, it was so it was it was Jack Skellington, Sally, and uh, Oogie Boogie, as though they were Han Solo, Leia, and and Jabba the Hutt. It was it was wild. It was so good. Uh, I think I, I don't think I think that's the, I'm not much of a I'm not much of like a, a cosplay guy, but that one stopped me in my tracks, and I had to I had to stare. It was amazing. You have to appreciate those crossovers when right? people experiment. Yeah, right. And and also t- taking an existing character that people are familiarized with, familiar with. Gosh, why yeah. can't I speak? And <laughs> and basically just making one little adjustment that that totally changes the the dynamic or perception. So I think there were just countless examples of that, especially with the Disney princesses in particular. Did you see so. Snow Buffett, Snow White, and Boba Fett? I did not. <laughs> that it was the best. Uh, it was the best. It was also really good. <laughs> Well, there was a, a lot to look at in terms of interesting people, but I, I also know that there was a lot to look at in terms of just sheer variety of presentations to choose from because there was a lot of programming and counter-programming. If one thing didn't interest you at this time, there was at least five other options. So yeah. I, I'm wondering how you assembled the schedule that you actually ended up seeing because I know when we were communicating previously you you went to a lot of presentations over the course of three days did yeah so what we did is on the uh when when the schedule was announced um there had been a ton of ones that like over time they had gone oh and by the way we're gonna have this and wait for the rest of the schedule coming soon and so there's always for d23 i i always figured that like pick one that you need to go to that like it will ruin your day if you don't go see that and then do everything you can to make sure that you see it um and that excludes those like big hall announcement ones like my opinion on that with the but actually this isn't even true uh because i do whatever i can to get into the the parks parks announcements but what i like to do is yeah one every day that that 
you have to get into. Ideally, it's one that is like not going to be as trafficked as those big announcements. But hey, if you re- if if you want to if you want to do that one of those, go for it, make it happen. So we kind of picked. So I knew that like there was the immersive worlds um, where uh, where there was going to be four, there was going to be a panel of Imagineers just talking about designing immersive worlds. And so I knew that I had to be at that one, for example, um, and just pop it on the pop it on the list and then uh and then when and then when they announced the rest of it and then there was the uh the uh whole reservation system i went okay i know the one every day that's really really important i have a secondary one that's like yeah that would also be really cool to go to if any of those don't make 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 it and by the way, you can always stand by that. And by the way, like I'm a, I'm a gold member. Actually, I'll tell you what I did, my sneaky trick that I did uh, afterwards. Um, but then, yeah, and then you just kind of stack all those and then know that, like you say, there's so many going on at any given time that like if they cut off the line at quarter two, uh, quarter to the hour on one of them, then you can just be like, great, I'm going to this other thing. And, and I'll be able to, I'll be able to see some kind of content that I want to see. Or by the way, there's a whole thing going on the show floor. There's so much going on. My sneaky trick was that when we did the reservation system, like a lot of people, uh, Matt didn't get any of the things that he wanted. Um, I was super lucky. I got, uh, I got, I got a pass for the uh, immersive worlds. Um, and I got a couple others, uh, but Matt didn't get anything. We felt kind of bad for Matt. And so what I ended up doing is I had a gold membership and there's four of us that go. And so I ended up, it was like $30 more to get the gold family membership, which let, which lets you get into the gold line with four people rather than the standard membership which is only two people. Uh, so then since just four of us rolling around, we just, uh, also picked panels that we all wanted to do. Um, not all the time, but like it ended up happening that um, the last panels of the day, both on Saturday and Sunday, that was the Aladdin panel and the Tarzan panel. And we all wanted to go check those out. So what we did is we just went in the gold family line and we got to see it. So it's, yeah, it's a little bit of learning how the game is played and then playing it. Oh, absolutely. And, and there are so, it's, I would say there's so much more time spent planning the expo than sometimes even experiencing it because not only is it making decisions behind what you want to see, but figuring out, okay, how are you going to get from one spot to the next with enough time to allocate? And uh, But the key, but I think the key is, I think the key is for me anyways, and I do this at Disneyland as well. And I do this at the parks and, and I think the key actually is like, yeah, do all the planning ahead of time. Do all the planning while you're in line for something. But then when you're in the moment, just like be in the moment. And and yes. you can't be precious. It, being precious leads to being, being disappointed. Um, and if you're not precious and you know that you have all these backups, then then you're gonna then it's gonna be a great time. Right. And you're gonna get to see a whole bunch of stuff because you've done the groundwork you've done the planning and then you can just you can just change the plan oh sure well yes sometimes the best moments are more spontaneous and not necessarily prescriptive yeah so exactly so kind of diving into some of the programming i know one 
thing that you all were looking forward to was the Aladdin musical journey oh my uh, experience in the arena. Could you could you talk about that? Because I know some of the video has surfaced online and showing the the musical moments. But what was it like to be there firsthand and see Scott Weinger and Linda Larkin, who were the original voices of the Aladdin and Jasmine, as well as all the, those other major stars? So what's what's neat about this so we're obviously huge aladdin fans but we're also between all four of us um all big musical theater fans um so so those two were were fine and and like it was neat to see them and it's neat to like kind of it's neat and off-putting actually to put a voice uh like to put a, a human voice to these voices that that we know so well um obviously like an amazing amazing uh experience also i loved the the kind of sense of humor that those two had about themselves and about and everybody on stage seemed actually amazed that they were part of this thing that was bigger than them like i that was something that really uh that really struck me is is this sense of wonder that even people on stage had about uh, this this cultural phenomenon that's that's lasted for for so many years. Um, but uh, to my point, uh, we're all big musical theater people, uh, and actually, my so Stephanie, my my fiance, she's a huge musical theater person. And the highlight of the show, I think, for all four of us was uh, was the performance at the very very end. Um, of of uh, of um, a whole new world, and those two voices blew me away. The highlight, I think, for me was those the two at the end, Regina Bell and Norm Lewis, uh, performing Whole New World. That was mind blowing. So I hadn't heard of Norm Lewis before, but Stephanie. Um, who my fiance, who who comes along, is a part of our little group. She's a big musical theater person, and she knew Norm Lewis, and she lost her mind when they announced that he was coming out. Like, and and I didn't know what was going on. Um, she clearly did, and she was so excited. And that's one of the that's one of the greatest moments is seeing this this person that you love just having her face light up and being so excited to 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 hear this person and then yeah and then he comes out and they they both just nailed that song so beautiful well what also seems neat about the event is that it not only honored the animated film but also the live action adaptation the broadway adaptation and yeah. even the Disney California Adventure version. That was so good. That that performance was so good. That that actually that might whole new world might actually have been second to that that performance now that I think of it. She she had she had so much power in that performance. And and she was another one who was clearly like clearly so excited to be part of this legacy and part of part of this show so the individual who came to perform to be free which was the uh alan Menken piece that was just in the disney california adventure version yes. um is that the actress uh dd magno hall yeah uh, who played jasmine for the first i think several years of the production and she traveled all the way was it from guam 
Yeah, from Guam. Yeah, she had been in the production. She was the first four years, I believe she said. Yeah, and she had traveled from Guam to be to be at this performance. And so wow. she, yeah, so she had clearly like spent like the first, like, I imagine, like, I imagine that it was, I know she had been a Broadway performer prior to doing uh, the California Adventure Aladdin. Um, but like, she seemed like, even in that performance, she seemed, she couldn't have been much more than 40. Uh, so she must have been quite young when she did that, like that original Aladdin. And then, and then what an, what an amazing experience for her. Wow. So yeah. lo- look, looking at the event from your standpoint in your profession, where you're looking at the production and presentation of yeah. how everything unfolds, what was your interpretation <laughs> of, of the Aladdin event? I thought it was so, I thought it was super charming. Um, I re- what I really liked about that, um, they sort of did it on Tarzan as well. They did actually in a number of the, the panels at, um, in that, in the arena is that they had really pre-themed they had themed the they had really themed the the pre-show as well in Aladdin. So I loved they had this um it was this like faux Arabian music. Um, but that was all uh that was all covers of like of 21st century pop hits. I thought that was uh very funny. Actually there was a couple 20th century ones as well. So I thought that was hilarious and super on point and and well done. Um and then the show itself was charming like it was this thing that was clearly mildly under rehearsed um just from from what it was just just based on what what the time constraints and and they surely can't pay all these people their their full full wage or whatever they would ask whatever they would ask for something like this so yeah so it's clear it's this like really fun thing and um and the the guy who plays Aladdin, I'm terrible with names. The the original voice of Aladdin. So that's Scott Scott Wonger. Scott Wonger, thank you. I always always forget his name. Anyways, he was clearly having the greatest time in the world. Um, he, I loved that he was willing to 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 poke fun at himself a little bit and uh, and to do and uh, the whole there was that whole session uh, the whole little section where he went to Alan Menken to uh, to sing. Uh, to learn how to sing Proud of Your Boy. Um, I thought that was like, that was super fun. And also like so happy to see Alan Menken make a little bit of a little bit of an appearance, even if he couldn't be there in person. That I, Alan Menken is this, I, such an incredible human being. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, sorry, I'm gonna sideline this a little bit uh, because uh, so Matt Go and right I- ahead. Yeah, so Matt and I are big time uh, like Alan Menken and Howard Ashman fans. Um, like I think it, it, it losing Howard Ashman it was a loss to the world. Like there was so much more for him to give, um, and uh, and and we had this kind of theoretical debate that you can't actually have. Like it's it's a it's a it's just not even a valid debate to have but matt and i just kind of looked at each other for a second because obviously aladdin was was the 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 piece that was that was half finished uh when when howard died uh like and then they had to bring in tim rice to to fill in the rest of the lyrics and and we just kind of looked at each other and like man like what what would that have that like what would that film have been if 
Howard Ashman had seen it through, what would have the rest of the 90s and into the 2000s been if Howard Ashman had still been around? Who knows? I, I don't know. But anyways, my point is that it was great to see Alan Menken and see him be be a part of that celebration. Um, uh, and it was also really nice that they were able to acknowledge Howard so much uh, by referencing Proud of Your Boys so much. Like a song that has that has literally only been in one final version of the show, which has only been in the in the Broadway musical. But it got so much stage time and mentions. Um, I think that's really kind of the the real bow to Howard Ashman at a certain point is that that song is so powerful that it 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 holds that kind of weight for performers who have who have interacted with it. Right. Well, no, it's nice that you you highlighted him. I think certainly those of us who are very much invested in Disney and Disney music and history recognize the impact of Howard Ashman, not just from the standpoint of, you know, the, the lyrics for some of these now classic films, but also just the storytelling that he brought to these movies mm. that essentially really he was as instrumental a force for the revitalization of Disney animation as mm-hmm. any of the any of the executives. So Absolutely. Uh, Stephanie went to the storytelling. No, the yes went to the Stephanie went to the storytelling uh, presentation, I believe, and and said that they ran that. Um, so from from they have a piece of it in Sleeping Waking uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty, the 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 film, uh, the documentary. Um, but supposedly they ran like like a very long amount of him discussing how to do musical theater uh, in prep for uh, in prep for doing the little mermaid that that piece of video is is an incredible document yeah yeah well and similarly that that waking sleeping beauty documentary it's about nine years old now but it's a fascinating and really authentic raw presentation of what the company was facing during this tumultuous period so yeah definitely recommend any listeners check out that that film absolutely so so let's uh shift gears a little bit to um some of the other events that you saw at d23 expo i i know you went to the digging deep uh excuse me the holidays at the parks uh presentation which is all about well it's a very self-explanatory title but could you could you share with listeners what what that entailed uh, the holidays one, not the di- not digging deeper. Well, you could uh, you could cover digging deeper too. I just misspoke because I was I was hoping to shift gears into the books, but please feel free. Yeah, I can even talk broadly uh, about um, the archive stage in general. So I did quite a few things at the archive stage. So we did the finding out things about the Disney history, and I did uh, the holidays in the park. And digging deeper was pretty interesting. They're like they're. It was largely about the uh, the historical society, the uh, or historical association, the Hyperion Historical Association, and right. I'm I'm stoked about keeping up with them. I think that the the documents that they're going to be they're going to be putting out. I, I think the the presentation itself kind of and ended up feeling like a bit of an advertisement for them, which is fine. And I think that the the documents that they're going to be putting out and have put out already are are pretty fascinating and exciting 
Um, I know I'm looking forward to it. I actually, uh, I went and bought, well, I'm sure we'll get to Kevin Rafferty in a little bit, but when I was going to go uh, buy Kevin Rafferty's book, I, uh, I ran into uh, an Imagineer down there who I also feel really bad because I've completely, Tom Morris. I ran into Tom Morris. Well, that's a big name. That's a big. That's name. a bit of a big name, right? I and and I feel I hope he doesn't listen to this because I actually really enjoyed talking to him, and I'm just bad with names. So <laughs> sorry, Tom, if you're listening. Uh, but anyways, he was uh, he was rummaging through the books, um, and uh, and I got to meet him, and he was telling me about how uh, I I don't know if I'm supposed to tell this to anybody, but uh, supposedly he's working on some on some content for for them, for the Hyperion Historical Association. So, so that was really neat. So I'm very excited for that content to come out. You heard it here, folks, from Joel Green. <laughs> it's, it's all going to be exposed. It's all exposed. Oh, my God. Oh, Massive leak. Yeah, at the Massive center of the Disney thing. scandal. My gosh, here I am. I, I, I like don't participate in Diz Twitter or anything because I don't want to be part of scandals. And now here I am. Um, anyways, uh, but to answer your, to go back on your question, uh, then there was the um, the holidays at the at the parks. The I don't remember what that one was called either, but the ho- the one about holidays and that one was uh, again one that Stephanie was actually very excited about. I was of course excited as well, but she loves Christmas. And what we what we got that we didn't expect actually was this retrospective on things that weren't weren't Christmas, like all the other holidays that are like all the other holidays and all the like weird ish ways that holidays were celebrated like before we had like technology uh to make the like these crazy parades that we now see um the most charming uh the most charming story from that was was in the in the early days of disneyland like the first halloween parade i i guess was literally walt invited kids from anaheim to come carve pumpkins at Disneyland and then walk down the street with pumpkins. Uh, <laughs> and that was the parade. And then like some characters followed behind them. And that was the parade. Well, hey, you know what? Cost cutting measures. It's like just enlist the guests. You guys are the parade now. Like, where is my guest based parade in 2019? That's what I want. Like, the like that was that's so cool i'm certain that there are so many reasons not to do a guest-centric parade uh but i yeah i want to carve a pumpkin and walk down the walk down the street with mickey mouse it was super fun so those were the actually the real gems uh like of course it's amazing to see like the gingerbread houses that they that they build for the for for some of the hotels and for the and for the ships and and of course it's amazing to kind of go be like oh there's the 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 uh nightmare before christmas overlay on uh, the haunted mansion but the yeah the real gems of that were like back it's hard to remember that 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 like at at points like and and actually like still sometimes there's like this this kind of scrappy scrappy go-getter up-and-comer kind of thing that was Disneyland in the 19 the the late 1950s where people were like I don't know if this thing's gonna go or not 
And so Walt was just kind of like, well, I've got, and, and like, and, and, and I mean, obviously this is, uh, I wish I was this, this up and coming to have all this at my fingertips, but like, but like Walt was like, well, I mean, I've got this guy playing Davy Crockett. I guess if we walk him down the streets with some, with, with like some balloons, we can call that a parade. And that's, it's just so, it's charming to remember that as we, uh, as we have things like paint the night and, and, uh, and um and magic happens coming up it's 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 neat to remember that that's actually also how things were celebrated so a question for you joel was there any reference to the how the american bicentennial was celebrated back in 1976 oh they actually didn't mention that at all i didn't even think about that until until this moment they didn't really mention that as best i can remember Hmm. That's interesting. I wonder if I mean. So there's also the possibility that um, since I am uh, since I am Canadian, uh, they it just kind of passed by my eyes. But like there wasn't any kind of there was not like a enough put into it uh, in that conversation uh, that they um, that they kind of stayed with it. That being said, as I'm thinking about it, uh, they a were clearly they clearly had a whole ton of content that they wanted to get through, and not a lot of time to get through it. Um, so they definitely were were racing through, and 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 they had three people. They separated into three pieces. Uh, the first one was uh, kind of the history, historical parades and events, uh, which I imagine maybe that might have gone into. Uh, and then there was um, every, basically everything but Christmas, and then it ended with Christmas. Um, so it may have just been, yeah, they were in such a crunch. And, and ultimately, they were, they were pitching a book. They were advertising a book that's going to come out next summer, uh, which is definitely going to be on my list to get. So I was going to say, it seems like it would be a very appropriate holiday gift. So yeah. I wonder if people will, will hold out and, and wait until Christmas 2020 to get it. But hopefully there's a uh, enough of an audience so that a lot of folks pick it up right when it debuts. Yeah, definitely. I, it, it looks beautiful. Some of those, some of the, like, some of the classic images that, like, those, those are really what get me, I guess, mostly because, because we can see the, the current day. With the exception of, uh, it's amazing to see how differently different uh, the different countries uh, that the parks are in treat uh, treat Halloween. Uh, I can't remember. I think it's either it's either Shanghai or Tokyo. I can't remember, but they like made stuff that was legit scary, like actually scary, um, like like zombie characters walking around in a haunted house level of like, we're making this scary thing at, at a Disney park. And that blew me away as well. Yeah, it seems like that that seems to be a trend in some of the Asian parks, because I, I remember hearing and, and seeing examples online of pictures of, uh, I believe in Hong Kong, like these really elaborate mazes that seemed like they could be attractions of them, you know, by themselves featuring some really haunting experiences. Yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So, uh, shift, shifting to a, another book-related presentation where we met at the Kevin Rafferty talk, which was yeah. 
really one of the penultimate events of, of the Expos, right right as things were closing out. But uh, it, I think it seemed like it was a full house by the time it ended. Yeah. And I, I'm wondering what, I, I know you said you're a big Imagineering person, mm-hmm. have a real uh, sense of reverence for it. What had been your familiarity or entry point to Kevin Rafferty as a Disney Imagineer? Uh, Kevin Rafferty, I definitely uh, was aware of him as a as an Imagineer, as a show writer. Um, uh, saw, have obviously seen his work, liked his work, um, seen him mentioned in a lot of books, in, in like a lot of in a lot of my reading, but I've never actually seen him like do a talk. And I know that he's done quite a few, and I've just never happened happened upon them. Um, so. So he was a little bit, actually, a person who I had never heard from before. So it was really exciting to kind of hear hear his story. I don't know how I've managed. Like I, I know that he's he's a he's he's a definitely a, a person of note, and I, I don't know how I've come to never actually seen him talk. Uh, but but that's the way it was. So it was really neat um i i loved seeing him i loved what i loved about him is that he picked up the mic at the beginning of that of that talk and then and then an hour later put it down and was like so we have like time for questions or anything and the woman sitting beside him was like no you just went the whole hour we need to leave now uh which i think like he was this so i'm halfway through his book now and and his his uh definitely his his exuberance and his and his his kind this way this really nice way he had about him where i got the sense i get the sense both in his book and just from watching him that he's like that he's the type of guy who's just sort of amazed that this is his life and i love that about a person like i i I hope that i get to be that type of person who's who just gets to like look around and go, I can't believe this is my life. And he seems to be the type of guy that that is living that way. Um, and good and good on him. Um, yeah, yeah. He has a he has a great vibe. I I really like him. And I love that he's making uh, the Mickey's Runaway Railroad. Uh, I I for some reason I didn't know that he was. He was a lead on that. Uh, like what? He, it's perfect for him. That is the perfect project for him to be working on. Well, and it's going to essentially serve as a culmination of, of his career, which is kind of remarkable that this is a gentleman who started out uh, kind of low on the totem pole, um, working at Disneyland in the late 70s, and he had ideals of, of kind of becoming... Uh, an Imagineer, even though it was kind of very much uh, an organic process, but ultimately he would end up being a pivotal force for some of the theme park's most iconic attractions and and moments. And for to end with a Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse, the Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway is quite a spectacular conclusion. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting about Kevin... Uh, to me is is that he came to it he he came to it that he said at the actually the very beginning of the um of his talk and and he kind of mentions in his book as well that you you one imagines an imagineer to be a person who has like 
who is who is an has an engineering degree or or has uh, is like is like this really excellent artist and 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 I know Kevin's a Kevin's a great artist in his own right um but like uh but then uh, you realize that like people like Marty Scalar uh and Kevin Rafferty their 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 biggest contrib like what they ended up con contributing was actually the writing and it's and it's always funny like I I I always forget about that um you always think of like I always think of how like Walt pulls pulled uh, like I think of Walt like kind of coming up with coming up with stories and then like and then like oh and we'll just kind of and we'll kind of write the stories and 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 there it is but that's not a that's not truly how how story telling is is done anywhere and especially in a Disney park and and I think the great the great um, compliment you can give to to Disney Park storytelling and, and people like Kevin Rafferty and and Marty Scalar is, is that the content, uh, the story content and the text, the the spoken words throughout the park to me uh, feel so natural. They feel like like oh somebody was just sitting like that that you kind of go oh yeah that must have been just like. The Imagineers were sitting around and building a thing and wrenching on something and went, oh, guys, we need to come up with some words for to say for Br'er Rabbit to say. And then and then they went, oh, let's make him say this. But no, that's actually an insanely difficult skill to, to come up with content like that. And uh, and it and it reads in his book, actually, like I say, he has this great easygoing way when you read the book and has had this great easygoing way in person. Yeah, I was thoroughly charmed by him. Well, and a really ideal illustration of his cleverness and ability to use words in a compelling and just utterly charming way is, do you remember the moment when he provided the like the whole script for the uh, Toontown radio show with the, yes! the, the brothers of Duckburg? Yes. <sighs> yeah, that was great. And it's, what's really hilarious is, so six years ago at, so it would have been the first expo you were at, too, the 2013 one. That was the, the last one I had been to until this one. There was a panel uh, called Leave Them Laughing, and it was full of Imagineers talking about humor in the parks. And Kevin was on the panel, and he talked about um, the Toontown radio show, and they played the audio recording. So I had heard it in the past. and. Uh, the video is circulating on YouTube, so one could easily find it. And then for him to actually repeat that whole song off the top of his head was just amazing. Him having those like those songs off like in his back pocket, just ready to go. What like I'm it, once again, it, it, like I'm sure that he must have prepped that, but it totally fe felt like he didn't. Like yeah, it's it's such a skill. So. So good. What was the most interesting thing you learned in the presentation context? Because I recognize that there was certainly a lot of crossover between the mm -hmm. the presentation and his book. He's talking about his forty year plus career in uh, sixty minutes, and poor Wendy didn't have a, a chance to chime in much as the oh. editor of, of the book. He yeah. basically said, like halfway through, "Oh, I guess you know uh, I should be quiet for a minute," and then he goes on and on and talks about. Uh, his amazing content, but uh, Joel, what would you say is the most interesting thing you learned in the presentation context? 
The most interesting thing that I learned, uh, both in terms of me thinking about my own career, um, as well as uh, how I think of Imagineering, uh, as well as just what a neat fact about him, um, was was the fact that he he le- that that he was part of the downsizing of Imagineering following uh, following the opening of Epcot because of course he was because that's how it goes and that is what actually led to him having the role that he that he ended up having for the rest of his career. Yeah, you have to kind of ask the question. Okay, so if this guy had stayed as the uh, stayed in what he was doing, does he actually end up becoming a show writer? Because he needed to go have that experience of being in advertising to figure out how to write these quick, quippy thoughts that really is the, is the essence of what he ended up doing for the rest of his career. So it's always nice to be reminded of things like that or really any any creative field, what we imagine a creative field to be like and how it actually goes is I know that when I think of people out of Imagineering, I think of the lifers. I think of like I think of like Marty Sklar, I think of I think of Joe Rody, like people who their story is like, oh yeah, I kind of happened into it when I was in my twenties and I've been there ever since. And then then you get to hear about Kevin who goes away for a little bit and and then and then comes back having learned things and i and i know that and yeah it's good to be reminded of that because i know that that is true for most people's experiences in creative fields not just imagineering but of course at imagineering as well um the other thing uh the little bit of the funnier thing is to think about how often is how often he seemed to feel like he was in trouble and about to get fired that made me laugh, but that was but that was like consistent throughout his story. Was like it always was accented by a. And on this day, I did this, and I was pretty sure I was going to get fired, but then I didn't, so it's okay. Right. Well, and he talked about some of those interactions with Michael Eisner and some of those other uh, major forces in the company. Who, you know, it could be it could be a tricky relationship, especially when they're uh, very demanding or or explicit about this is what we want you to accomplish i think uh, he relayed the anecdote about the tree of life and putting the, originally it was supposed to be a rafiki uh show on the outside and then it ended up being oh michael eisner was like oh how, you know let's let's put a little Pixar's show inside doing this thing about bugs so why right. don't you do something about bugs <laughs> right <laughs> and then it turns into like a really great show oh yes yeah it has some of the, yeah. the best lines and humor in, in all of Disney, I would say. So, so, so well written. The Disney so, parks, I should say. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, yeah, and, and once again, a, a great reminder of the creative process and, uh, and, and how creativity works, both in, in large companies like Imagineering and in, the, and in anybody's creative life. I think humanizing is what... Uh, is what comes to mind. Like he, he came off as a very human person. Yeah. So, in, I love abs- absolutely. Well, I think that was, mind you, I, as soon as I saw when the schedule was released that Kevin would be offering a, a book talk, I'm like, you know what? I need to score, even though I know 
I could probably get in at last minute. I'm like, this is one where I'm going to put my stage pass if I can secure one because I really wanted to see it. And boy, it, it, it did not disappoint. It was even better than I thought. So did you get the book? I did. And nice. uh, it will be part of a feature episode of the podcast in terms of deconstructing it. So a lot to talk about. And I'm wondering, Joel, thinking back about your whole D23 Expo experience, was there one thing that you one element one experience that you felt like was top notch and then on the flip side what do you see as an opportunity for improvement in terms of whether it be programming or how the expo operates hmm. in the future so easily the uh the the highlight uh for me and and this is kind of a gimme just given everything that i shared with you today um but is the immersive worlds uh uh panel the so this was the one that um it was announced like very early on and and it did not disappoint it was it, it was a conversation between uh four imagineers joe Rody, uh jeanette lomboy uh luke mayrand and uh scott trowbridge um so so effectively the guy who made animal kingdom and pandora the woman who oversees Aluani on an ongoing basis, the guy who designed, who, who is the creative director of Shanghai Disney, and the guy who looks after all the Star Wars content. These four people uh, talking about how to design immersive space. And what was amazing, so if you've, if you've experienced any of those things, and I'm actually lucky enough that I've experienced all those except for Shanghai Disneyland, um, but if you've experienced any of those, you know that those are like four very different ways to look at um, immersive design and storytelling. And these four people had pretty different, pretty big differences uh, of opinion on how to approach those things. It, I mean, most notably, it was at, at certain points, the thing felt like it descended into like Joe Rody and Scott Trowbridge, like hashing out their differences uh on how to do things because star wars uh galaxy's edge is is such is, is so similar but at the same time completely different than pandora uh in terms of like how they're designed and so as and i keep the theme of my of of, of this discussion seems to be uh the see, seeing creative development uh in front of you and, and being able to take it back into your own creative life. But I guess that's just the way that I think. But, uh, uh, but yeah, but seeing those two guys who are like powerhouses, like they have made the most incredible stuff, have completely different opinions on what the goals of what they're designing are, how to design it uh, was, and the passion with which they they discuss it, all four of them, um, was was inspiring. Um, yeah, I was very very lucky. I was also very close to the front uh, in that one. It was it was an incredible panel. That one actually, I was um, I had been thinking of skipping the Aladdin panel because I had another one that I was thinking of going to, and. Um, like that was just another kind of imagineering centric one and it was i think it was a it was a book it was another one at the archives about about uh, 
probably another day I'm making this book and, and that's great. And I, but when I got done the immersive worlds, uh, discussion, I, we ended up just deciding to go to the, to Aladdin because I'm like, that was like, it was everything that I needed. It, it filled me up. And, and then I got to go to Aladdin and have this like joyful celebration happen. And then I got to go sit on main street in Disneyland. Sounds like an inspirational day. Oh my God. <laughs> Unbelievable. So yeah, immersive worlds was definitely the highlight was the, yeah, is the one that I can very easily say was a highlight. Um, that being said, like I uh, actually, uh, the Ke- seeing Kevin Rafferty speak also was a, was a highlight, uh, hearing about the, the parks, uh, the parks and the E, uh, uh sorry, and, and the holidays, uh, was also a highlight. Yeah. So yeah, that's the, yeah. that's the hard part about D23 Expo. Everything that you see for that moment is the highlight because it's so amazing. So right? I, right? I appreciate what you're saying. <laughs> life's, life's so hard. Why does life have to be so hard? You know, that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting. <laughs> so full of goodness. Um, and then your other question was, uh, what is the, what was something that can be improved on? Yeah, so for the next iteration, based on what you experienced or or perceived of how the expo operated, what what's an area for enhancing the experience next time? They so they started. They've I don't know how how many years they've done this parade down the middle of the of the thing of, of like like through the convention center. That got in my way a bunch of times this year, um, and it did actually two years ago as well. It like it was just kind of a a bit of a bit of like you're 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 in my way i need to get somewhere else and you're in my way but like clearly people love it so maybe it's just not my my thing um i would love to see actually like now that that other hall of the like there's so much congest like it is a congested space and and like none of the none of the at this point none of the the franchises outlets None of the wings of of Disneydom seem to really get their fulfilled. I I mean I was pretty uh, happy with the the Imagineering uh, Pavilion this year. That's actually been quite good every year. Um, the Marvel space was so small, and the and and Star Wars didn't seem to get very much. But maybe they didn't have much to show. Like I I don't know I don't know the the what's actually going on internally, but it seemed like um, a lot of the uh, outlets weren't, didn't have the space to kind of spread out. Um, They've got that other part of the convention center finished. Is it better to break the whole thing in half and you have to go between buildings? I don't know. I don't know, but it definitely, I, I think also speaking to the, the thing I was saying about the parade, I think that it's, it's the downside of success is, is congestion. And I don't know how to solve that for them. Not that they would ask me to anyways. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think that, yeah, there's a level of congestion that, that comes with success. Um, I think uh, d- despite what I, I, I read on the internet, uh, I think it was actually when it, it continues every year, it become it is better and better managed, um, and, but and every year it gets bigger and bigger, and, and it's really a feat. Yeah, uh, I would have loved to also 
this might actually also plug into congestion or all the all the arms of the the company not really getting what they need. But uh, center stage was sort of in in the center of the building uh, last year, and they had some really great acts in in 2017. Center stage uh, was like off in a corner near the um, near the, uh, the the arena. Same with the design competition. Both of those were kind of at in the middle of the of the space, like really front and center last in 2017. And and I wish those would those would get their they're they're due as well i think those are both really great things like uh like center stage we like in 2017 i saw billy hill and the hillbillies and susan egan and like this year center stage wasn't even on my radar so i'd like to see center stage and uh and the design competition get a little bit more love as well but once again it comes down to congestion and how do we let people see uh see the things that they knew they wanted to see the things they knew they came for like Star Wars and Marvel and animation and Imagineering, uh, but then surprise them with with Billy Hill and the Hillbillies doing a set and these cool design pieces that that these artists have made. Yeah, no, you made you make some valid points because the problem is is there are so many different entities and arenas within the Walt Disney Company that deserve and, and, and want to have some recognition at the expo. And it's like, how much space do you allocate? Where do you position them so that uh, things feel seamless in terms of uh, whether it be if there is a live event at center stage that it's not necessarily going to disrupt something else in the adjacent exhibit or area? Because per your point about the parade, there was a, a talk by the frozen songwriters going on and then here comes the parade and it's like okay or maybe it was uh right? a different talk, no. but it was yeah no, it matt was a, and I mean, matt and joanna were at that talk and they were yeah, like me too. 20 yeah. minutes in and they were like we gotta shut it down yeah and exactly crazy yeah it's, like yeah uh, that's that is unfortunate that. when you have those two songwriters talking and then it has to get shut down because of like of like an indoor parade <laughs> like no 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 Oh, well, but oh, well. it should, you know what, I think, you know, Disney, I, I think they're very good in taking guest feedback and making improvements, as you said. So I have no doubt that 2021 will run even smoother. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we now reach the point in our conversation where I ask you as the guest some Disney related questions. So mm-hmm. it is time for a segment called ask them my questions and get some answers so this includes you have like you have like you should do you have like bumper music for that is like no Uh, you know what maybe i need to add that to the the music budget record what i just did because it was clearly flawless yes exactly you know what i'll just i'll just take that for free so so so, so, so joel this includes uh three standard music related questions two standard book-related questions, and then there's a random Disney question for you. Oh, boy. All right. My, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Okay. So you beat me to the punch. I usually say, Joel, are you ready? But you oh. know what? That is covered. So we are good to go. Okay, good. So first up, what Disney soundtrack did you listen to most while growing up? Hmm... Uh, did I, so fun fact about me is I used to put on like little shows. My parents had a, like a fireplace with, uh, uh, it was like 
what is it called a hearth with like a little raised area made of uh, made of brick um, yes. that I clearly believed was the stage, and we had track lighting, so I could clearly point that at myself, and I would put on little shows. Um, for that basically was the Disney uh, movie of the day and whatever tracks I had on the album. And the one that I listened to the most as a kid, the one that I used the most may have been, I think it was The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is a weird one (laughs) for a kid to... to No, it's not. It's seriously not. No, I think, yeah, I can can vividly remember multiple times uh, doing Topsy Turvy Day. Absolutely. Oh, that's a standard. Well, I, I had the microphone muted, but I was basically laughing hysterically because <laughs> I was one of those kids who also I had in, in my house. I had two fireplaces and both of them served as stages uh, for, for different Disney related. Per- I would have that, you know, the, the massive 90s era video camera filmed on me performing different oh. Disney related renditions. Yeah. 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 Uh, nice. Nice. Yeah, so I'm good. I'm, I'm totally that's, with that's you. We're in, the, we're in the club. Uh, yeah. That's hilarious. The club uh, for you and me. Yes, exactly. Right. Excellent. Yes. So I'll I'll be your band leader and lead you to this next question, which is Ooh. what Disney song most recently got stuck in your head? Uh, it was. Um... It was phantasmic. It was it was the 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 phantasmic theme, uh, in the style of the original production of Phantasmic, not the not the new one. Okay, very specific. Appreciate it. Mm. Third question on the music front: What Disney film do you feel has the most underrated music? Most underrated music. You know the opening song to Sword in the Stone? I do not, I can't think of it off the top of my head, no. So so I so I believe it has so the, I think it might be the most underrated music. Is the whole so- movie the most underrated music? It's all pretty good. It's pretty it's a pretty good one, but the the opening of the Sword in the Stone is like is like as this very is like done in this like classic lyrical English troubadour style. It's like a legend was sung of when England was young, um, and knights were brave and bold. Uh, and it has this thing. Uh, uh, it has um, this uh, third, and and so in Sword in the Stone it goes. Uh, the good king had died, and no one could decide. So it's kind of this like same. It's the exactly same thing as like. Um, Oh, of course, I'm completely blanking on any other song that has this. But it's kind of this, like, sort of sad feeling to it. And then at the very end uh, of the song, so uh, it, it kind of keeps going along. And it's sort of setting up the whole idea of, like, of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Uh, and, and then it goes, and then it, like, hits this really high note. Uh, it's like... And uh, it's talking about how, like, there's the sword and the stone, and, and it's foretold that someone's going to pull it out and they'll be the, the king. And, the, and they go, and this miracle appeared in London town. And, um, and my brother, Matt, my brother, and I are, uh, I don't know if he talked about this in, in his interview, but uh, we will get that stuck in our heads on a loop for hours. 
Uh, so I suggest everybody, if you don't know the song off the top of your head, go hit the YouTube. Uh, it's called The Legend of the Sword and the Stone. Uh, and I'm sorry that it will get stuck in your head. And that oh. is most underrated song, I think. Well, there, there's an ongoing rumor that Disney Plus is going to be developing a new adaptation of The Sword in the Stone, so now they know who to enlist to perform the vocals oh, for... Oh, goodness. Do not do that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I did that. Well, now, now, now you have, uh, you know, you, you can you can put that in your in your reel of experiences of performing. I'm, yes. I'm available for bookings. Let's add that to the list. So moving on to book questions. Yes. And I think I know the answer to this first one. But what is the most recent Disney book that you've read? I'm So I'm going between, um, so the Kevin Rafferty book, um, which I realize I don't actually know the name of. I just call it Kevin Rafferty book. Magic uh, my journey. magical journey. Yeah, that's it. And um, so between that and uh, Mark Davis in his own words, which I also bought. Sweet. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, Mark Davis in his own words. Two big, ten pound, uh, two book, massive, amazing. Yeah, both it's, great. It's a tome. It's a tome essentially. It's a tome. It's, Absolutely. And and that is by uh, Pete Doctor and Christopher Merritt. So that's yeah. sweet. You are a you're you you are amazing with names. I'm I'm terrible with names, and I, I I love how you can just pull those out of nowhere. Well, I feel like I've been so excited about all of these new releases. Now I just actually need to get all of these new releases. So it's going to be an ongoing process. But uh, I'm wondering, Joel, the last book-related question yes. is, if you could write a Disney book on any topic, what would it be about? That's a hard one. I could write a book on any, a Disney book on any Disney topic. What would it be? It would be something about, so, so there's great books, like there's the, the Imagineering Handbook, um, there is the book The Imagineers, that, um, or, or whatever the actual, uh, the Imagineer Guide to Imagineering or whatever that, uh, that I know um, Kevin Rafferty was, was a part of making. Um, what the book that I would like to see that I would like to write or see would actually be a case study on a attraction from original concept from like concept to to completion um, and it would be interesting to see that comparatively across the years like it would be so interesting to see like uh see a concept completion on Disneyland as a whole that I mean that's pretty well pretty well documented but like I would love like concept completion on uh one of the original on on the man on the Monsanto House of Tomorrow uh and then a concept completion on Indiana Jones or Splash Mountain or one from that kind of era and then another one that's a concept completion on like on on something like Star Tours and then and and what would be amazing as a concept com to completion on something like Pandora or uh, or even or even Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, that's that's what I'd I would love if somebody wanted to let me go give me access to the people that I needed to to research and write that uh, big old concept to completion like no 
all no holds barred like everything out on the open like like schematic diagrams to look at uh, uh inter-office memos that's the book i'd like to see that'd be fantastic well i think you know what that could start a trend a series of books concept to creation and then right. each each edition or each book in the series could focus on a different attraction that'd be really nice. cool oh yeah or even um, like I, I, like i would even read that on i would read it about a, a non non-ride system based attraction like i would read i would read about that on like princess like on the fantasy fair uh that opened a couple of years ago that doesn't have any rides but it's like but but it would be so interesting to hear the the stories of like of like going okay we're gonna tear down this 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 place where people love to go do swing dancing every weekend and I know that's gonna bum out a couple people but we're gonna tear it down and we're gonna make this and this is what's gonna look like and then we go and then yeah going down the line and like okay what is what is this gonna craft and like and then the the idea where somebody goes. Let's put a a music box themed after the Hunchback of Notre Dame in it, and I was like, that whole arc would be fascinating, and and we all we get those stories in such in little b- bits and pieces, but I think they're and they're but they're always told as like the, this kind of offhand, oh, oh, here's a funny story about when we were working on Princess Fantasy Fair, but to do it as a study of design and creation, that would be. So fascinating. I, I agree. I will point you and and some listeners to one good example of this type of idea, and that's a book that was published uh, in the last decade. And there's there have actually been a few different editions of it. It's called The Haunted Mansion: Imagineering a Disney Classic by mm. Jason Sorrell. It's very inexpensive on Amazon, probably about fifteen dollars or so, and it mm. has a really good uh, context of the overall history of the attraction and also its different iterations across the different Disney theme parks. Very so, cool. uh, I'll, I'll say that if the, I, I'm sure this has hit a couple of, uh, a couple of people looked at this, uh, but, uh, something that is quite similar to the concept I pitched, but, but different. It is not specifically, uh, ride based, but it is, um, process and design concept based. Um, is a is a book by John Hench called Designing Disney that I would recommend. Yeah, that's a good that's a good one too from yeah. I think early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I think I think it's out of print now. If I it is, yeah. yeah. eBay, that's always the answer. eBay is the answer. Well, last question for you, Joel. Yeah. Right, so this, is, this is your random Disney question. Good. So um, that means no other guest has receive this one so it is yeah. and i thought of this given your background what disney attraction do you feel boasts the coolest use of technology oh wow boasts the coolest use of technology it's very difficult and i feel like i'm probably going to end up giving you a non-answer by giving you two the coolest use. So the coolest use is the the use of technology that when I first did it, I was like, oh man, this is like this is really uh, this is really taking it next level. Is the flight of passage at uh, at in Pandora, um, but it is 
actually, it is not the screen that I think is the coolest use. To me, the coolest use, and if like, and if somebody out there wants to like, like, show me how the system functions, I'd be so into it. Um, I have theories, but uh, but it was just such an effective. It was so effective, simple yet effective. Uh, is on flights of passage. Uh, it's not the screens. It's the breathing. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's the way that it feels like the thing that you're on is breathing. That might be the coolest use of technology that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, That's a really precise answer. That's awesome. Yeah. The other one, uh, I'll, I'll, you've made me think of a story um, I, because I, uh, I was sitting in my office uh, after coming back from a Disney trip. And, uh, and somebody asked me, this, uh, this, uh, this guy asked me, he's like, so what's the, what is the best ride at Disney? Which is like an impossible question. I, I, I do not suggest that I'm answering that question at all. And I said that to him. I was like, well, I don't know about the best ride, but I'll tell you the ride that I think is, that is, uh, does not get the credit that it deserves. And I think there is a piece of it that actually answers your question of what's the coolest use of technology. Um, and it's because of how it integrates our old trick um, into making uh, the ride uh, something bigger than it than what you expect it to be and i think it's a, and it's may, might be something that people don't necessarily go on the ride for um but maybe i'm wrong maybe this is maybe everybody knows this and feels this and i'm just talking uh but the ride is big thunder mountain um it i that is my like i love big thunder mountain and the reason that it's a it has a technology piece to it um the coolest use of technology is and it got plussed up to be like this in the past few years, like in the in the decade, in this decade, and it's how they've improved the explosion uh, as you go up the go up the mine shaft uh, up until like it explodes. And when it's when it's one hundred percent operational, like it's got the steam cannons that are then lit and make you feel like makes it feel fiery. And then it has you've got the heat in there. This like this this exhausting heat, and you can like. What, and the storytelling of I, of, of, I think they just have like little projectors paired with some, paired with some, uh, with some lighting effects that make, that you can watch the story of you getting in there, seeing the, 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 um, the, the fuse lit on the TNT, and then you watch the fuse go up. And I remember the first time that I took uh, somebody on it who hadn't been on the ride before, and I went, watch this. And they went, they went, oh my God, they like, I, they actually had an oh my God moment over this like really simple, really simple projection design element that then turns into like these steam elements and, and, and lights. So my, I guess my point, uh, both from the, about the, the riding on the, uh, on flights passage with the breathing and with this is that for me, cool use of technology does not act necessarily come from a whiz-bang use of technology. It comes from inventive and intelligent use of technology. So those are my two uh, favorite cool uses of technology. 
Fantastic. Well, your enthusiasm for Disney Imagineering is absolutely palpable, and I just am just loving the energy that you're you're sending. Oh, thank you. Joel, hopefully, I didn't, okay. uh, hopefully, I didn't talk too long. No, we, well, it's, for the time that we said we were going to record for half an hour, and it is now, and we started at quarter after seven, and it's now eight forty. Yeah, yeah. No, this has been a great talk, and and I'm wondering, finally, how can listeners get in touch with you? Because I imagine other folks are going to want to have these conversations with you as well. Great. Yeah. Um. Uh. Joel Grinky is is my name everywhere. Uh. I'm on the. I'm on. I. I don't talk a lot on Twitter. I've kind of made it a, a bit of a goal that I want to be more. Act, uh, more active in the communities that I like to be part of, and the Disney community is definitely one of them. So yeah, if you if you reach out to me on Twitter, I'll definitely be there, Joel Grinky, and um, on Instagram. Joel, thanks thanks again for joining me on on Not Louis Disney. It was such a fun time to chat with you and kind of share the the Disney D twenty three Expo experience too. Well, thank you so much. I had a great time. What a great time to talk with both Matt and Joel. Thank you both again. The D23 Expo coverage wraps up next week with a brief recap from me on what I experienced, mostly related to the music and book programming at the event, plus some general thoughts on how the Expo functioned, and more importantly, an interview with author and podcaster extraordinaire Dr. Dan Golding. You know him as the man behind Screen Sounds, and the Art of the Score podcast. During our discussion, we explore how Dan developed the new title, Star Wars After Lucas, A Critical Guide to the Future of the Galaxy. It's a great book, and hopefully a fun discussion for all of you to listen to as well. All that and more on next week's episode of Notably Disney. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports, that's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports, and be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.